What's up, Doug? <laughs> What's up, Grub? Thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, happy to be here. That's good. You have a very nice podcast voice. Thank you. It's you got a, nice... a face face for radio. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> do you do a lot of podcasts? Have you been on a podcast? Uh, my claim to fame for having some headphones on and a microphone in front of me is the Murph and Andy show. I do that about twice a year. So, oh, nice. What, yeah. do, you, what do you do on that? They have me on for a segment where Murphy's a sponsor. We got a sponsor agreement with him, so Keith has me on. I'm going there this Friday, so tune in. Friday nice. at 2.30. Ratings will go through the roof, I'm sure. Right, right. No, I love it. Well, we appreciate you coming out. You have written uh, a book, The 9 a.m. Meeting. We want to jump into that today. But one of my favorite things in the entire book is a jumping fleas. Flies or fleas? Let's just start with that. Yeah. Is it jumping flies or jumping fleas? Fleas. Fleas. Is, is that the official? Is jumping flies even a thing? I don't think so because they fly. Flies are not. They're not flies or fleas. Fleas, because they jump. All right, and they're one of nature's greatest jumpers. Really? Yeah. One of the, I think if you look at like a multiple of how big they are, they're like the top. Nice. Yeah. So the jumping flea story in your book was probably the thing that resonated with me the most. Just as I started thinking through my personal journey and my thought process, share with us what the jumping flea story or theory is. Well, it it kind of. When you relate it to, well, let's just talk about the flea first. I mean, the flea is, uh, as I said, is one of the be- best jumpers in nature. And they did an experiment where the, they put the fleas in a beaker and the fleas could easily jump out of the beaker. They put a glass top on it. Next thing you know, they're hitting their heads into the glass top. And so they're kind of concussed is what I would say. And they took the lid off the beaker. Now they can easily jump back out again, but none of them would. So I was kind of like, all right, so something happened to them that changed what they felt like they were, you know, what their ability was and or what they could do. And so fleas no longer jumping out of the out of the jar. They put some heat underneath it. And now all of a sudden they're like, wow, I can't stay in here anymore. So guess what? They could jump out again. And it was one of those things when you relate it to human beings and you and me. I mean, for me, I was, I grew up, I was the I was the kid that was the mistake, uh, 16 years younger than my sister and 18 years younger than my brother. Uh, that was something I heard. I didn't hear it in like a hurtful way or anything like that, but it, you know, it, it definitely hung around that others that, you know, Oh, you're such a cute little mistake. And, uh, you know, it's something I carried around with me for, you know, my whole life. And, and, uh, so when you get into life and maybe something happens, you, you kind of look at yourself, well, yeah, I'm probably not going to maybe I won't be able to do that or be able to have this happen or, you know, just there's other things that happened in my growing up that would be concussions maybe that I received that helped me, you know, just kind of figure out, I mean, it's how I think about myself. And so these fleas, which used to be, which had the natural ability to jump out of there. So maybe I had the natural ability to do some great things and then smack your head into that glass, you know, a few times. And all of a sudden you're like, I, I'm not motivated to do that anymore. I'm just going to stay down here. And, uh, you know, the fleas got motivated by the fire. Um, you know, as human beings, we get motivated by different things. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe, I mean, who knows what it is, uh, to actually push us to where we're going to go up to what our ability is again. That's what's always fascinating about me. I think that's sort of life in general. What resonated with me was, there's no lid on the jar, right? Right. Like in your life, there's no lid on the jar. You've con- in, in, in a way for us, it's like we've convinced ourselves that the concussion is real and there must be a lid. Mm-hmm. 
But at some point, there's this awareness that there is no lid and that the lid isn't there and you have full control over your own life. And that's what I think is interesting about your book and your story as an employer, as you're starting to look at how you define success for yourself, for your company, and you had all this turnover. And it was because ultimately I felt like maybe people thought they had that lid on the jar. They didn't have a sense of purpose of where they were going. What was that journey for you personally to sort of redefine success? I mean, that's really where the book starts is how you used to define success and then how you got to this new place of definition. Yeah, for me, I mean, we started our business in 1993, um, had some opportunities to grow the company. And when I looked at those opportunities, it's like, okay, Inc. 500 uh, will be one of the 500 fastest growing companies in the country. Um, You know, it was, it was an ego play hundred percent. It was like, okay, I can be this big deal now. And, uh, we're going to have, we we're in retail. We had six stores at the time. Uh, we were going to go to 25 stores. We're going to open 19 stores in 12 months. And like, wow, you know, I'm, and it was really, it was, it was, how can this company serve me? And, you know, I, I want to be able to walk around and be the guy with stores in four States and have 25 of them. And, be this big deal. And, you know, through that process, we basically ran, you know, grew the company right into the ground. Um, you know, we're one phone call away from the bank just saying we're done. Um, you know, I was never home during that time. I mean, we're going to Chicago, St. Louis, Omaha, out to Hastings, Nebraska, Southern Missouri, down by Joplin. Um, we had a new newborn at home at the time. So I was not being a very good husband. I was not being a very good father. Um, you know, and you add, you put all those things together and we kind of got to the point where there's got to be a better way. Um, you know, just things were falling apart on the work front and the home front. And, uh, you know, it was all self-inflicted. I mean, it's all my, you know, I point the finger directly at myself. And so what can we do to, to try something different? And I mean, there was a faith component in that and there's a lot of different things that were going on during that tough time. And, but ultimately it was, you know, we're responsible for a lot of people here. And why don't we turn this into something special? It's instead of just being a cell phone business, why why don't we turn this into a place where people can really, you know, become the best versions of themselves where they can come alive a little bit. How do you do that? I mean, that's, that's, I think the real spirit of the book is talking about starting to have this 9am meeting Mm -hmm. and building relationships and hearing what it is that your team's going through. And, what I enjoy about hearing your story is like for you, that's where the passion really got reignited is you're going over here through something in your life and you feel like, man, I'm kind of alone in this thing. And you're dealing with your own concussions and you come over and you start this 9am meeting or one of, one of your managers starts right. this 9am meeting. And all of a sudden you realize that you and your employees, everybody on your team are, are going through a lot of the same things. Sure. How did the 9 a.m. meetings start to come about and, and what were those early days of that like? Well, when we were getting through the the mess and uh, Nick, who's the main character in the book, he's our VP of sales. And we just started talking about, you know, he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm just wanting to talk to people about life and just kind of what, you know, what do they got going on in their world? And then I'll share a little bit about what's going on in my world. And pretty soon the relationship starts to build. And, and um, he's like, but when I ask them the question, you know, what do you want? He's like, I get the deer in the headlights look nine out of 10 times. They're always just like, what do you, what do you mean? 
well, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to have? And so many of them are just like, I want to get paid next Friday and have enough money to maybe go out a couple times, put some groceries in the, you know, in the fridge and, and I'm good. I mean, that's really not a lot of people were living, you know, with much of a vision for the future. They were, it was very, very reactive to, you know, I'm just running around putting out fires as compared to going intentionally going after something. What was that first moment when you really started, I think, to connect with them? Because it sounds like you had to redefine success for yourself. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things in the book for you was it, it almost felt like you were sort of playing the short game, like get the next office open, get the next city open and, and meet these, I don't want to say deadlines, but yeah. fulfill your contract, right? So it was sort of short-sighted. Yeah. You started to create the long game for you. And you started that with sort of the end in mind. Right. Talk through that eulogy process. Share share with everybody kind of what exercise you did to, yeah. to have that come to light. Well, to help me get clear on what I wanted, um, you know, I had a yellow notebook just like you got sitting there in front of you. And I sat down, and this is when I would consider it like the dark ages, you know, when the, when the wheels were coming off everywhere. And, and uh, I wrote down my own eulogy, did it in a, just in a, long hand with a pen and a yellow pad and what would people say about me when I was gone? And, um, I still have it today. I mean, there's tears on that page and the ink is messy and it was, it was very raw and very honest about the fact that no one was going to give two, you know, rips about this guy because he was very selfish and, you know, he was really just living, putting himself above everything else. And, so, you know, like I said, I, I wrote that in 2003 and uh, I've kept it ever since. And then I wrote a second one that was, okay, let's say this guy gets his act together and, uh, you know, what are the things I would want people to say about me in the end? So, you know, I want, you know, I've lost both my parents and one of the best things about that process was standing there at the visitation and people walking through that line telling me all these great stories about my dad you know, and, and the same with my mom, but with my dad, especially. And, and the guy was a servant of our small town. <clears throat> it was, uh, I mean, it was emotional. I mean, I can feel the emotions right now just thinking about it. So I was like, what do I want people to say to my kids when that day comes for me someday? And so I wrote that second eulogy out, try to get it out every quarter, take a look at it. Does my calendar match up with what I want people to say about me when it's all over? And, um, I mean, that was a big, that was a big deal for me. In the beginning, like, what are those first steps, right? Like, I love sort of saying, hey, here's here's what the end looks like if I don't make a change, mm-hmm. if I don't have that fire under the jar, right? right? So you sort of found this moment where you created your own fire or there was fire there yeah. uh, that maybe you had put all the sticks and yeah. <laughs> threw the match on it knowingly or not knowingly. But now you started to create this new vision of in this new definition of success what was that first sort of time period or phase if you will if you look back on it of like how how does somebody start walking towards that probably one of the best things i did is there was a exercise i can't remember it was out of you know one of the authors i've read and he and you take you've got like a he has literally you can print them off i'll have to find out who it was a hundred cards with different 
adjectives, different, you know, different words on these cards. And you start off by taking that hundred and you pair it down to 20 and then you got to take it down to 10. Then you got to take it down to five and then you got to take it down to two and then finally to one. And as far as what, what's that one thing that speaks to you the most, as far as what's that word that really connects with you at, at your heart. And for me, I, as I was paring them all down, I came to the word significance. And so I want to live a life of significance and that, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I want to love God and I want to love other people. And so when I started thinking about the love people part of it, you know, was failing at that, you know, on my, in my personal life and I was failing at that at work. And so what can we do as an organization to invest in our people, to love our people, to help our people, you know, again, to come alive because, again, it's, I just see it. We see it all the time. It's just people, they get up, they put the fireman's helmet on and it's put out fire. Number one, fire, number two, fire, number three, and then collapse in bed at the end of the day, get up the next day and do it all over again. And as compared to put out fire, number one, fire, number two, and then spend an hour or two working on the stuff that actually matters. So, you know, how do we get people to move the needle towards, you know, the things that matter to them personally? And it's different for everybody. I mean, for somebody, it might be getting out of debt. Another person, it might be going back to school or starting a business. Um, but we, we just want to help them kind of work through all that stuff. That's a, that's a thing I think's most twisted and sinister about excuses. Like in your mind, like the concussion, like they're usually valid. I mean, there's often not scenarios where you have an excuse in your mind or I'm tired or this happened or that happened, or you don't understand my upbringing or my childhood mm-hmm. or the things that are in your own mind, they're valid. Like they're right. very valid. And, and that's what sort of is the, the sinister thing of excuses. But what was the difference once you guys started doing this 9 a.m. meeting? Nick starts talking with them. They start to build this relationship. And then it's like from that, there starts to become this trust that they're actually going to open up with some of the challenges that they're facing and actually for themselves create a new definition of success, a new sense of purpose. Um, What was it just really simply even in the relationship between Nick and them in those 9 a.m. meetings that started to change? I think a lot of it was Nick being transparent with them about his own, his own story. I mean, there's a guy that, um, you know, single dad, mom wasn't in the picture. So it's just him and his daughter, you know, struggling from this job to this job to this job. And you just want to provide for her and, and, um, you know, him just not being afraid to share some of those, you know, be transparent about his own life. And then what's, what are the things that are important to him? And that just gives the person sitting across from him permission to do the same thing. And I think when you start to, you know, when you start to connect on a personal level, it makes it that much easier to be, I don't know, open to this kind of this new concept, so to speak. Cause it's, it's, we've had people flat out tell us this is weird you know, talking to at work about stuff that's important to me personally. You know, I had one guy say, my wife told me this is career suicide. I shouldn't talk to it. You know, this is, you know, you come into work. When somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, everything's great. And then you go off and you, you know, and you work and then you put the mask on. And then when you leave work that day, then reality hits you again. But, um, you know, we're trying to keep people, get people to not, you don't have to put the mask on here. I mean, we know that everybody's got, different things that are, you know, hard in their lives. We get, everybody's got different things that are, they're dealing with and how do we help them help themselves? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like too, your, 
you're helping to sort of create a lane and create a path that they can fix some of the things that are going on in their minds. Like the, the struggles that they're bringing to work and taking home from work. And you start to lighten that load. It builds that relationship. And then most of your people are not going to be with you guys for Forever, right? five, 10, 15 years. I mean, that was something I loved in the book was you wanted to offer some tools and some experience so that when they are 15, 20 years down the road in their career or their lives, they can look back at their time at US Cellular and say, I learned something. I took tools, you know, that opened, right. you know, helped me forever. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, you know, we'll, when someone comes on board, it's like, we don't expect you to work here the rest of your life, but we want you to leave a better person when, when you leave than when you got here. And, and, uh, and I think when you get a store, you know, if you got a store with, you know, our stores are anywhere from three to probably nine people, depending on the volume the store does. And when people start working on these different things, you know, maybe somebody's working on saving money for a down payment on a house versus getting out of debt versus I'm going to run a marathon or lose weight. That changes the water cooler talk in that store. So instead of complaining about, man, the promotion sucks this month or, you know, things are slow or I don't really want to make my calls today or, you know, it's, Hey, got that debt paid off. You know, that credit card has been cut in half. It's done. Got my next one now. I mean, it, it increases the energy in the, in the store without a doubt when people start talking about the things they're going after compared to the things they're reacting to. You, you talk about in the book too, there's like kind of a nice visual of a plateau. Oh yeah. Where the good habits have to continue to outweigh the bad habits. Yep, exactly. What do you say to somebody that, you know, they've, they've done the weight loss, they've done the, you know, working on their debt or whatever goal that they've set and they're two, three months in and they start to hit a plateau and it levels out. Now they kind of have a choice, right? Yeah. Break through the next breakthrough and set goals again or, 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 or start to revert back. I think that's probably why 75, 80% of diets fail. Right, I mean, sure. it's like some crazy number, right? Like, Anybody can do it for 90 days, but how do you form new good habits? Unpack that for us. Uh, we try to do it two ways, I guess. I would say number one is just right up front, making sure they understand that's coming because it's going to ha- it's going to happen so that they're ready for it. So when it happens, they can recognize it. They know that there's some adversity that's going to come. It's just automatic. Um, and I think this, the second piece of that is if you're just – focused on painting a goal for somebody, you know, you, you want a real good, clear picture of what things look like when they arrive at what, you know, where they're trying to get to. The problem with only doing that part is that everybody to some level is comfortable where they are right now. You know, it might suck. It might not be what you want, but I know what it is. So I know that I can survive in this little box I'm in right now. So if you only paint the picture of what, is coming down the road that you want that provides a lot of motivation. People are excited about it. They can get on board with that. But I think you have to start before that by really defining why you can't stay here. And, um, there was a great example that I read about, uh, it's a church in Chicago. Um, and they were, they've got a, like an outreach building where people can come that need help. They get car repairs done. They can pick up groceries. They can pick up, clothing and all this stuff. And the leader from that organization, he's like, I'm going to go over there and see what's going on over there. 
It was a cold Chicago day. It was snowing, and he pulls up in the morning, and there's a line of people there waiting for that service to open, and they're standing outside in the snow. And he's just like, these people need our help, and yet they're standing outside. It's 20 degrees out. It's snowing. There's six inches of snow on the ground already. He's like, we got to raise some money and build some kind of deal for people to wait indoors over here. And instead of going into the congregation and just saying, we have to, this is why, you know, he took pictures of it and stuff. He's like, we just need to, we need to get an indoor thing built over here. You know, instead what he did is he put the pictures up on the big screen of these people standing out in the snow with no coats on, no snow boots. And he put that up there and just let everybody look at it for a while. And people are like, well, that's terrible. You know, we can't, that's just not right. We can't, we can't let that happen. So they had the money raised in one service to build the enclosed deal for it. And, but he's like, if I just would have went in there and said, we need to, here's where we need to go without explaining why we can't stay where we currently are. He's like, it wouldn't have worked. So like we got to help people just understand. And here's why you can't stay where you are. I mean, we had a guy, Chuck, who, you know, he lost over a hundred pounds and he couldn't stay where he was because he's like, I want to walk my daughter down the, the aisle when she gets married. I want to watch my son compete in sports. And he's like, if I don't change something, I'm not, it isn't going to happen. So I read an article while we were talking before we came on about Dabo Sweeney Mm -hmm. and uh, the head coach, head football coach from Louisville went and basically watched the program and they quoted him and I'm sort of paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, you know, we don't want to be a program that tells you what to do. We want to be a program that, that you know what to do. Like, you know, you know, and that ultimately was the difference, right? Rather than telling people, you know, what to do that, that they know and they feel that and and they understand that. That's such a challenge, I think, in a business environment of trying to do it, but it seems the only way to do it is create vision for yourself, Mm -hmm. for the company and really create that lane. I mean, every book or talk speaker has a different way to explain it, right? right? Yeah create a lane, create a space, but whatever it is, that's what I love about, you know, really this book and your story is that through your process of yourself, sort of having to begin with the end in mind and create that vision of success, you've translated that into now your company and allowing really, you know, one of the things I talk about here is we, we were very, you know, many businesses are driven by profit, Mm -hmm. but like at some point you have to make this bet and you have to make a transition, the purpose will drive the profit right. over a long-term period of time. And that's done through creating vision and creating goals and opportunity for people to be able to do that. And that's what's super interesting to me about you and fascinating about this book is doing it at a level of, you know, uh, whether you're selling cell phones at a mall or you're selling insurance at principal or mm-hmm. whatever job that it is you have, you've been concussed in some way and you think there's a lid on the jar, but there is no lid, right? (laughs) There is no lid. And so it is about relationships. It is about setting those goals. It is about overcoming that adversity. Uh, And, and what's really neat. And, and the reason like really literally one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is to highlight stories like yours that are creating that lane. Um, to where it's not about driving the company profits, but it's about driving sort of the company purpose mm-hmm. from the top down. It's 
if you can get people to can, let me say it a different way. We've, I feel like health is a multiplier of talent. And so if our talent level is a six, but our company health for those people is an eight, that's a multiplier that gives you 48. Whereas if you're got it, let's say that the talent level is an eight, but your company health is a three, your numbers a 24. So I'm going to take the six and the eight all day long over the eight and three because, and we've seen it in our stores where you might have some of the most talented salespeople, but they're poisonous to the, to the store and the performance of everyone else in that store suffers because no one wants to be there with the two jerks that are really good salespeople. And we, you split them up, you move them out. Maybe there's a conflict of personalities and the health of the store goes from that three to an eight and the performance of the store, I mean, the profits go, the profitability of the store goes up because the health of the store improved. And that's a, that's a personality type thing. But if we can, if we can have more healthy people because they're engaged in life as compared to reacting to life, the health of the company goes up, the health of the people's, I mean, their personal lives, their family lives, everything is benefit, everything's impacted in a great way. And it just all kind of rises because the health is a multiplier of talent, which ultimately drives profits. I love that. Yeah. Can I use that? I'm going to, I'm going to use that. Anytime. Well, you go back to the New York Yankees. I don't remember the year highest payroll in baseball, basically the all-star team of all-star teams that they had built and they didn't make the playoffs. And I think it was the Phillies and the A's were in the world series that year. Their combined payrolls were less than the Yankees that year. But the health of those two teams was off the charts. Right. So, I mean, that's just a sports example to, you know, to look at it that way. But I think the the healthier your people can be from a, you know, I don't have to worry that the bill collector's calling. I don't have to worry that I got a relationship problem at home or my, you know, I know that my sick kid's going to be taken care of or, you know, you name whatever it is. If they're more healthy pers- on a personal level, it comes over to work and makes everything better. So in a huge way, there's no lid on your jar. You've, you've become very aware that there's yeah. not a lid on that jar. And it's, it's unusual. It's unique. I think it's special and I think it's unique that somebody would say, you know what, I've been through this experience and I want to write this down and now I want to share this. Mm-hmm. I think there could be like a million concussions as to why not to do that. What was it? just in your mind and, and as you sort of, you know, went through this experience, got to the other side, documented it and said, you know what, I should put this into a book and I need, I need to share this. I'm going to share this. Yeah. How did you work through? Cause I got to think that there's a lot of concussions on that one it to was, say not to. It right? was, yeah. It was hard. I mean, we talked to, if we talked to my, I got a little uh, small group of guys, we get together every month. And if we, they knew, I mean, I was talking about this thing for years before it actually happened. And it was having those guys hold me accountable to it was a big part of it. But I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what your question was again, but it was. Um, it would be hard the, to overcome like all, all the things of, oh, I shouldn't do this or oh, people aren't going to like this or oh, people are going to judge this or oh, I'm not good enough to write a book. I mean, I just yeah, feel yeah. like, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so it's sort of that internal battle. I think it's really cool that, you know, that you had this in you, but how many people sort of have that story, have that book, mm-hmm. but don't have the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to share this yeah. with the world. Everybody's got a story. And I mean, anytime you I mean 
getting to know you and more of your story. I mean, I, I benefit from that when I get to, you know, you on the golf course, a great example when you're there, I just got done playing in a, uh, an event in Wisconsin and there's people from all over the world at this event. You send, you spend four hours, four and a half hours walking with somebody and you learn their story and inevitably you're a better person because of it. You might, and it might be, you learn something that, I mean, I don't want to be like that guy, or it might be something like, Oh, I loved what he did with X, Y, Z. I'm going to bring that home with me and do it. And, um, you know, for this book, it was, it was just time to do it. And, um, you know, if, if we can turn this into something that's bigger than just our little company, that's the ultimate goal. And it's just kind of been a, you know, when you're in the fire every day of trying to be successful at your main business and then this, you know, this kind of comes on and off the burner every so often. And, you know, you reaching out to me to talk about it has been, you know, kind of turns the heat back up on that burner a little bit because I feel like this is something that ultimately being in retail, it's a high turnover business. And uh, I think the food service industry is real similar. I think, you know, I think people are, job hopping more, um, because they, they can't connect the dots between why am I at this job and what do I want in my life personally? And when we help them connect the dots, all of a sudden they're like, well, this place cares about me and I'm making the same money here as I would make over this, maybe this other place. I'm just going to, I'm staying here because these guys get it. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can spread that to, you know, some other businesses at some point. It just hasn't been a, it has not been a huge Focus. We got the book. Got the book written. Got a couple uh, little tiny checks from uh, the publisher on for sales at the beginning, and you know, since then it ha- you know we just haven't really worked on it much. Well, I'm really glad you wrote the book, and I'm really glad that I read the book, and I'm really glad that you came out and shared shared this because I, I I'm I'm of the opinion uh, that the new currency in leadership is vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And it takes a unique vulnerability to empower other people. And you got to be authentic and real with yourself to even be able to get to that place. I think right now it's maybe in the minority, but I think it is the growing majority. And I think in 20 years, if you're a leader or you're a boss or you're a manager and you're not subscribing to that thinking, I I think those, I think those folks find themselves in a really bad spot. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think they continue to sort of make excuses. So I, I really think this book is helpful. Um, and it's the 9 a.m. meeting. How do we, if somebody's listening to this and they want to get a book, how do they get a book? Uh, Amazon's a great place to get it. Or, I mean, just reach out. Reach out to you or me and we'll send them one. Yeah, so, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story and hopefully more people will read this book. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. Appreciate it.